I wanted to mention one more thing about um, what's coming up in the life of our church. Uh, we've got uh, next Sunday, uh, all of our new equipping class uh, series will begin, and uh, equipping hour uh, meets from 9.30 to 10.30 in between uh, our two services presently, and uh, it's just a time where you can get further equipped, kind of beyond what you get here uh, in Sunday morning worship, and uh, we've got some great classes starting up uh, next Sunday. We have the same age groups going to be meeting. We've got our uh, young marrieds and families class. We call it Family Builders, 25 to 40-year-olds. They're going to be studying great themes of the New Testament. Ralph Clements is going to be teaching that class. And then uh, we have our half-timers, which is kind of the 45 to 55 or 40 to 55 age group. And uh, uh, Fred Sabins is going to be teaching that. And uh, he's going to be doing uh, Marks of a Healthy Church. It sounds like a great series. And then, of course, our lamplighters, our 55 plus, will continue to get some great teaching by uh, John Toon and, and Bill Stevens and George Hebner, and they kind of rotate through uh, their own kind of series there. So we encourage you to consider uh, being a part of our equipping hour, just coming an, an hour early than normal. And, uh, and whether those age groups work for you, uh, we don't necessarily think you have to go to the one that you're in that age category. If there's a subject matter that intrigues you, uh, interests you, um, then go to that one. And so if, you, if you're an older folks, older, older person, you want to go to the you know, great themes of the New Testament, then do it. If you uh, are, are curious in marks of a healthy church and you're a 25-year-old, then you jump up there with the half-timers and, and to feel free to kind of move around. But the key is everyone is involved in equipping hour. We want you to be here and uh, just to glean from, from that great teaching that goes on here on Sunday mornings. Um, the other uh, thing I want to mention is, of course, this Wednesday, we're starting back with our Wednesday night programs, and uh, one of my joys on Wednesday night is to open up God's Word again uh, and really supplement uh, the teaching that we get here on Sunday mornings. And so uh, what we have tried to do on Wednesday nights is teach uh, through the Old Testament, different books in the Old Testament, and it's kind of been a good balance. We typically do New Testament on Sunday morning, and so as I've been thinking and praying about this fall... Uh, the Lord laid on my mind and heart to teach through a series uh, on the minor prophets. That's the part in your Bible where all the pages stick together, right? Where some of you have never been. And if I said, hey, uh, what's Habakkuk about? You'd be like, who's that? What's that, right? Uh, How about Obadiah or Jonah or um, Amos or Micah or Zephaniah, right? What is that all about? Why is that in the Bible? And why should that matter to me? And so what we want to do is a series, um, 12-week series this fall. There's 12 minor prophets, and we're going to talk about uh, basically the major points of the minor prophets. In other words, what's the main point of each one of those minor prophets? Uh, why, why, Why should it matter in my life? Why is that in the Bible? How does it apply to me today? And so looking forward to that. We're going to kick that off this Wednesday night. So please plan on being here. Um, if you've got children or young people, it's good to get here right at 6.30 and, and uh, so they can take part of the whole evening activity. Um, if you don't have children or young people to get here, sometimes it's hard to get uh, back from work and dinner and all that by 6.30. So just come at 7, 7.10, 7.15 is around when I get to preach in here on Wednesday nights. And so we'd love to have you come and uh, looking forward to this series uh, on the Minor Prophets and appreciate you guys praying for me because uh, I've never taught through the minor prophets. I've taught a few of them. I've taught Hosea and I've taught Jonah, um, but that's it. Um, and so I'm looking forward to get into those uh, and just kind of 
captured a theme of each one of those books, uh, one a night, and uh, I think we'll walk away by Christmas time with a better understanding of our Old Testament. So looking forward to that. Well, this morning I want to talk about something that I think that every pastor should be passionate about, uh, something that he should care about more than anything else. Uh, His entire life and ministry should revolve around it. It should consume his every waking thought and even keep him up at night thinking about it. It should drive him, motivate him, inspire him, burden him, convict him, grieve him, gladden him. It's something that should force him to pray. It should focus him in his study. It should fuel his preaching and teaching and counseling. It's something he should long for, something he should labor for, something he should live for. It's what Paul longed for. It's what Paul labored for. It's what Paul lived for. It's what he was passionate about. It's what kept him up at night thinking and, and praying. It's, it's, it was the consuming focus of his ministry. And he shares that with us in his first letter to the believers in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he told them what motivated him, what inspired him, what burdened him, what grieved him, what gladdened him. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and I want you to see if you can pick out what this thing is that drove the Apostle Paul. From the moment he woke up to the time he went to bed, and even after he went to bed in the middle of the night, he was thinking about, he was praying about. There's one word that's used multiple times here, in fact, five times in these 10 verses. Uh, you tell me what his passion was. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know, for this reason, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we are comforted, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord." For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day kept praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. What was Paul passionate about more than anything else? These people's faith. In verse 2, in verse 5, in verse 6, in verse 7, in verse 10, he mentions their faith. And coupled with verse 8, he says, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. And so Paul's primary purpose as a pastor was to help people develop firm faith. He didn't want people to have flaky faith or floppy faith or flimsy faith and definitely not 
phony faith. He wanted them to have firm faith. Now, the word faith is a is, a, is an all-encompassing word. It doesn't just refer to, to saving faith. It's not just trusting Jesus for salvation. There, there's more to faith than, than that. The, the word here that, that Paul uses for faith describes a Christian's entire relationship with God. And there's really two aspects of, of our faith. There's the objective truth of God, and there's subjective trust in God. There's the faith right? The objective truth of God's word. And then there's our faith, our subjective trust in God. And so basically when, we, when Paul was talking about their faith, he was talking first of all about what they believed and secondly, how they lived their lives. So it was both doctrine and behavior. In other words, Paul wanted to see people being grounded in the word of God and living it out in their daily lives. He wanted them to have a strong walk with God. That was his point. And so Paul longed for people to be constantly growing in their walk with God. He did everything possible to help them in, their, in this ongoing process. And he pulled and he prodded and he pushed and he pried and he pleaded with them. He wanted people to be constantly making progress in their spiritual life so that they, they would grow strong and healthy and into uh, spiritually mature people who were standing firm in their faith. That's what he wanted most. That's what I want most for you. Hopefully that's what you want most for you, is to have firm faith. And so this morning, what I want to do is just look with you at this passage and some of the surrounding material here in this, in this letter, and, and just talk about two factors for firming up your faith, okay? If you're going to have firm faith, what, what is it going to require, okay? Number one, you need to find out about your faith, and number two... You need to fill out your faith, okay? You need to find out about your faith, and you need to fill out your faith. Let's look first of all at, at finding out about your faith. Notice what Paul says here as he begins. He says, therefore, and this is basically 1 through 5, this first section here is all about finding out about your faith. Verses 6 through 10 is all about filling out your faith. But he begins this section here on, on uh, finding out your faith with the word therefore. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, well, what is he talking about? Well, the immediate context is verse 17 of chapter 2. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person and not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For he wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could endure being separated from you for any longer, right? We thought it best to be left behind at Athens and to send Timothy. You say, well, what happened there? Uh, well, if you look back at Acts chapter 17, we don't have the time to do that, but Acts chapter 17, Luke records Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. And as you know, when he, was going, he would go on these missionary journeys, he'd go into a city and he'd preach in the synagogue and he'd go and preach the, in the marketplaces and, and typically people would get saved um, and, and, and they would start a church and then a riot would break out and Paul would get either put in jail or get run out of town, right? That's pretty much Paul's life and ministry. 
Well, that's what happened uh, in Thessalonica. He was there. Uh, he began to preach in the synagogues, and he began to preach in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the marketplaces. And the Jews that were there were jealous, and they started a riot. And they went and grabbed Jason, who was hosting Paul and Silas and the other men who were traveling with him, and they dragged him out in the middle of the city and said, hey, this guy basically is housing these men who have turned the world upside down, right? Remember that? Acts 17, 6. And, uh, and, and they're causing problems. And so they ended up running uh, Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica. They had been there uh, for a short three weeks, just three weeks. And yet, in, those, in that short amount of time, Paul uh, had become very endeared to these people. In fact, look at chapter 2, verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also, for, uh, also our own lives because you become very dear to us. And then he goes on in verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children. And so you see he, Paul likened himself to these, these new believers, uh, spiritual mom and dad. And, 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 and they had become so dear to them. In just, just three weeks' time, right, they had bonded. And so when Paul left, it was like that, right, mom having a baby, right, or the parents having the baby, and all of a sudden they're like, sorry, you got to go. And they take, the, they, they take the parents away, and they're like, well, what about the baby? They're like, sorry, forget about the baby. you got to go. You just imagine, right, as a parent, how much that, that would have torn your heart out. And so that was what Paul was feeling here, and, and he was uh, concerned that, uh, that the, these new baby Christians, right, uh, who, who seem to have enthusiastically embraced the gospel, but uh, how does he know that this wasn't just an emotional response? And, and persecution had, had continued after Paul left. They, once they got rid of Paul and Silas, they, they turned their guns on, on these new Christians. And, and so he was wondering if, if those who had professed faith in Christ would endure and, and prove that they were truly believers. Or would they be wooed away from their newfound faith in Christ to avoid suffering? Hey, just, just recant. Forget about the fact you're a Christian. Just tell them you're not a Christian, and then they'll leave you alone. They'll stop picking on you. And so Paul sent Timothy back to see how they were doing, and he returned with this glowing report. He told Paul that they were not only enduring persecution, but they'd become an example for the other Christians in the surrounding region. I mean, look back at chapter 1, verse 6. He says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. How did Paul know that? Because Timothy had gone, visited with him, found that out, and came back and told Paul. And so Paul was, was thoroughly convinced that their faith was the real deal, and so he sat down to write this letter, this First Thessalonians letter, um, to, to express his gratitude to God for them and, and to reassure them of his deep love and, and concern for them. And so he says, therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. I love that, when, when, when we could endure it no longer. Apparently, some were telling the new believers that Paul didn't really care about them, and that's why he hadn't returned, and Paul 
according to the previous chapter, we read it uh, there in verse 18, right, that, that he had tried to come back several times when Satan had thwarted him, and yet that didn't stop Paul from thinking of the Thessalonians. He says, listen, I've been deeply concerned for you guys and your spiritual well-being. I, I have a hard time sleeping at night. I, I've been praying like crazy for you, and the suspense was killing me. I couldn't take it any longer. Uh, I, I couldn't stand not knowing how you're doing. I had to know something, and so I sent Timothy to see how you were getting along and to provide you with strength and support. And, and that word there, when it says, I sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, verse 2, it's the idea of buttressing uh, something that might buckle or shift. It's, it's literally like bulkheading, right? The side, the front of your, or the, the front of your yard by the lake, right? So it doesn't fall into the lake, right? You bulkhead, you, you, you support it, you strengthen it so it holds strong. You say, well, why was Paul so concerned? Why was he uh, so committed to supporting them uh, and strengthening them and bulkheading their faith? Well, he says in verse 3, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this, for indeed when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. See, Paul, again, had been prematurely ripped away from these new baby Christians. He hadn't had a whole lot of time to, to effectively establish them and ground them in their faith like he had in other uh, cities uh, in order to help them face persecution and affliction, which they were experiencing big time. Uh, and his concern was that their faith would have buckled under the pressure. Notice he says that word disturbed so that no one would be disturbed. Literally, that means wagging the tail. So the idea is shifting back and forth. Their faith, faith may have been wavering. Um, this word could also mean deceived. Uh, it would have been very easy for the Thessalonians to, to doubt where God was and, and whether or not uh, he was mad at them because of all the, 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 the trials and the persecution. I mean, their life, when they committed the, their lives to follow Christ, their life, their life didn't get easier, it got harder. That, that's true of some of you, right? Your life didn't get easier, it got harder. Then you start to wonder, hey, maybe this wasn't the best decision after all. I think most likely their enemies and even their well-meaning friends were trying to persuade them to a, abandon the faith, to escape the persecution. And Paul says, hey, listen, you were destined for this. And he's, he just reminds them that, that that persecution was to be expected. He'd already warned them of that in advance, that they would be persecuted for being Christians. And Paul was very upfront about persecution and affliction. Um, listen to what he said to the Philippians. He said, in no way be alarmed by your opponents, this is Philippians 1.28, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that, too, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me. Paul likened suffering to a gift. Not only do you have the gift of faith, God grants you faith, he grants you the privilege of suffering for his sake. If any man uh, desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul said, 2 Timothy 3.12, he will be persecuted, right? So not only was he concerned that they were going to be persecuted, he was maybe even more concerned that they would be tempted by Satan and drawn away from the faith by Satan. 
Now, Paul understood there, notice verse 5, right, that for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul knew Satan was like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour, right, relentlessly stalking Christians, trying to destroy their faith and devour them. By the way, when lions hunt, who do they normally go for? The little ones, the babies, right? The smaller ones, the weaker ones. And so here were these baby Christians just new in the Lord. And so Satan was constantly doing everything in his power to deceive us, to trick us, to make us stumble and fall into sin. That was his concern that um, maybe as he said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, right? That as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray for the simplicity and pure devotion to Christ. And he said, hey, listen, and if that was the case, then all my labor in Thessalonica would have been in vain. So he knew, Paul knew the fierceness of Satan. He also knew the fickleness of people. He'd been around people long long enough to know that, hey, not everyone that professed faith in Christ was a true believer, right? And so Paul's greatest fear was that all his hard work was for nothing. All the time he had spent pouring his life into the Thessalonians had gone to waste. And that's Ultimately, why he sent Timothy to find out about their faith. I I just got to know. There's too many factors coming against you guys. I got to know that you are the real deal. And so you say, well, how does this relate to us? Well, how do you find out about your faith? What about about your faith? Okay, if Paul was was writing a letter or he sent somebody, right, to, to spend time with you, what, what report would he get back, right, from that person that he sent to go spend time with you to find out about your faith? What, what, would, he, what would he find? He said, well, how do I find out about my faith? Well, what were some of the things that Paul found out from Timothy? Well, number one, there was a transformation. There was a transformation, an obvious clear transformation in the lives of these, these people. We <clears throat> read about that in the first chapter, starting in verse 3, how Paul's gushing with gratitude here to God for this transformation that took place, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope, and our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you for our gospel to not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Look at verse 8. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Talk about a radical transformation. These guys were pagan um, idol worshipers worshiping the, you know, they, they, they were just down the road. Thessalonica is just down the road from where Mount Olympus was. Right, the home of the Greek gods and goddesses. And so they had repented. They had turned away from worshiping all those false gods and they turned to God and they were waiting for Christ to come back, right? who was going to rescue them from the wrath to come. And so the question you need to ask yourself is, have I seen something like that happen in my life? Has there been a transformation that's taken place? Am I a changed person? Am I different than I used to be? 
And so the question you could ask yourself there, if you've got those notes and there's lots of fill in the blanks here, if you grabbed a sheet in the back, do you thankfully see changes in your life? Paul was thankful for the changes that he saw in the lives of the Thessalonians. And that's why he, he found out hey, their, their faith is legit. So do you, do you thankfully see changes in your life? Number two, another way to find out about your faith is, is reception. Reception. Again, notice uh, what Paul found out from Timothy here. Verse 6 of chapter 1, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And then he, he, he builds on that in chapter 2, verse 13. I love this. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So another way to find out about your faith is, is what, what is your reception like when it comes to uh, hearing the word of God, reading the word of God, listening to the word of God? Are you uh, receptive and responsive, realizing you're not just reading the words of men, you're not just hearing the words of a man, you're not just hearing some other guy's opinion, you're hearing the very words of God. That God is speaking to you, and you listen to the word of God as you read it in your own private time with him, you hear it when you come to church, and you say, this is God's talking, and I want to respond, I want to receive that, and, and, and so you, you obediently respond to God's word. Ask yourself that, is that true of you? Do you obediently respond to God's word? That's a sign, right, that, 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 uh, that you are in the faith, that you have true, genuine faith, that you obediently respond to God's word. How about persecution? Persecution is another test, if you will, another way to find out about your faith. We already read chapter 1, verse 6. He says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 14, he says, For you, brethren, become, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. So in other words, he's saying, hey, you, you were being persecuted, and you welcomed that. You endured that. You gladly endured that persecution for Christ. Ask yourself that question. Do you gladly endure persecution for Christ? Or do you try to avoid any kind of persecution whatsoever. And if you see persecution coming, you duck and run. You duck and cover, right? You deny the fact that you're a Christian. You deny the fact that you know Christ, right? You don't want to be persecuted. Or do you gladly endure persecution? Whatever it might be, getting laughed at, being left out, being overlooked, whatever it is in our society where you endure persecution for Christ. Do you gladly endure persecution for Christ? It's a mark of a Christian. That's a way to find out about your faith. And then how about temptation? How about temptation? He said in chapter 3, verse 5, he said, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. We are tempted. If you're a Christian, right, uh, if you have true faith in Christ, you will be tempted all the time, okay? Satan will be coming after you. It's like, listen, if you don't get tempted a whole lot, okay, uh, it, it, Satan's like, you're a non-issue, Okay? I'm gunning for this guy because this guy gives me, con I'm concerned about this guy. This guy's going to do some damage to my kingdom, right? Or this gal, man, she's really going for it for God. And so they, you, get, you get a big old bullseye painted on you, right? So do you regularly 
resist temptation? That's the question you should ask yourself. Okay, are you being tempted, number one? Okay, you say, well, yeah, how's that supposed to encourage me? Right? Well, hey, that's a good sign, right? If you're getting tempted, right, that means you're a, you're a player, you're a factor in the kingdom, right? And, and so Satan's got his guns aimed at you. The question is, how do you deal with that? Are you regularly giving in to that temptation or are you regularly resisting that temptation? I didn't say, do you always, did I say, do you always resist temptation? I didn't say that, did I? I said, do you regularly resist temptation? Is that a pattern in your life where you fight, you, you stand firm against that temptation? Well, ask yourself those questions. What, what do they tell you about your faith? Do they provide evidence that you're truly in the faith? Do, do they give you confidence that you're a Christian? I think this is where firm faith starts, is you've got to make sure you have faith. You can't have firm faith if you don't have faith, right? It starts with having faith. Genuine, true, saving faith. And so the first factor in firming up your faith is to find out about your faith. You need to find out about it. Do I have it? Is it, is it alive and well in me? Secondly, if you want to firm up your faith, right, you need to fill out your faith, okay? Once you've established that you have faith, genuine, true, genuine, saving faith, okay, now you need to fill out your faith. And that's what Paul is getting at here, <coughs> excuse me, in verses 6 through 10. Notice he says in verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith, in other words, I'm convinced that you guys are saved based on all the fruit, all the evidence, all this, this report, all these things that Timothy reported to me, man, you guys are truly saved. I see all this evidence, all this fruit. He says, And since I've received that good news and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we're com- comforted about you through your faith, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. And so Paul's fears here were put to rest when Timothy came back and gave him this report and told him how well the Thessalonians were doing spiritually. And when Paul heard Timothy's report, he probably just let out this huge sigh of relief. Oh, man, Timothy, I'm so glad to hear it, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for going. Thank you for bringing that report. I mean, what a burden must have been lifted from his heart when he found that they were, that they were standing firm in their faith. He, he was also encouraged by the fact that, that they were longing to see him, that there was a mutual longing. Paul was longing to see them, but they were also longing to see him. Even though people apparently were bad-mouthing and bad-mouthing Paul, saying he didn't care about them, that he just came and used them, and not in their minds, they still had fond memories of Paul. And I love what he says here. He says, for now, verse 8, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. It's like Paul was so powerfully impacted by the news of their, of their faith that it's like he had a new lease on life. It's like, man, I was, I was kind of lifeless and I had no enthusiasm. And I, you know, to hear that you had fallen away from the faith, man, that would have just been a death blow to my heart. That would have crushed me. But now he says, man, I can go on living now. I mean, your, your form of faith is, has given me a new lease on life, and, 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 and it's an inspiration to me. It's, it's as if Paul's entire existence hinged on the spiritual well-being of the churches that he founded and of the people that he led to Christ. It, his whole life was wrapped up in that, and it's, it's what he lived for more than anything else. I mean, that's why he said in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? 
You say, I can't relate to that. I'm not a pastor. I don't carry around that weight, that pressure, that daily pressure. Well, you know what? You can relate to it if you're a parent. That's how Paul likened himself. Hey, I'm like, a, I'm like your mom. I'm like your dad. You're like my kids, right? That was kind of the, the, the relationship that he had with these, with these people that he had led to Christ. And so if you're a parent, you know what that daily pressure is like, right? You live with that daily pressure uh, of how your kids are doing. And are they walking in the truth? Have they strayed away from the truth? Uh, they're, they're going through a difficult time. They're weak right now. Uh, they're, they're being led into sin without, you know, how can one of your kids be, go off into sin and you not have intense concern for them, right? You know what that's like. And, and, and it seems like when, when, when your kids are not doing that good, right? You're just kind of bumming, right? You're sad. There's a, there's a grief in your heart and you're mourning. And, and yet when you get a good report from somebody, hey, I met your kid the other day or I heard this and he said this and you're like, well, it just kind of gladdens your heart, right? It kind of pumps you up. And so that was the relationship that Paul had with these people here. And, and so he wanted them to stand firm. He said, man, uh, that's what I want more than anything. If you stand firm, I really, if you continue to stand firm in the Lord. Paul loved that expression, stand firm. It's the picture of an army who's just being assaulted by the enemy, and they just stand there, and they, they, they endure. They don't, they don't run away. They don't freak out, right? They, they, they endure. They, they, they're just under relentless assault, and yet they remain in their position. They stand firm. Notice what he says in verse 9 and 10. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying. See, that's what I meant. It kept them up at night, right? Most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So Paul was just saying, listen, I am so grateful to God for what he has done in you, what he has done through you. But let me remind you, you haven't arrived yet. There's still some things that, that, that you need to work on. You, you need to excel still more, right? Chapter 4, verse 1, you're familiar with this. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, and other, you are walking in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord, that you excel still more. Verse 10, for indeed, you do practice love toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. In other words, you're doing a great job loving one another, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Take it to the next level. Now notice he says here, verse 10, back in verse 10, that that I long to see you. I can't wait to see you again, that I might complete what is lacking in your faith. There were some deficiencies. There were some shortcomings. There were some weaknesses uh, in their relationship with God. Their faith needed to be filled up or rounded out or completed. That word complete is another word for, for equipped, being fully outfitted. Fully ready. Um, The New Living Translation uh, says it this way, that Paul was earnestly longing to fill the gaps in their faith. To fill the gaps in their faith. Paul knew that these new believers were still in need of pastoral instruction and correction, and he was eager to provide that for them. 
He wanted to do whatever he could to help them grow and mature in their faith. He wouldn't settle for anything less than total spiritual maturity in those he ministered to. His goal was to help everyone become complete in Christ, right? Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And all of Paul's proclaiming and, and admonishing and teaching and praying for these new believers in Thessalonica paid off. Notice what he said in his second letter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. He's writing back to them now. Some time has passed. And notice what he writes, 2, Timothy, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. In other words, your faith has gotten bigger, it's gotten stronger. You know, we talk about that with our kids, right? When we see our kids growing up and say, hey, they're kind of filling out. You know, they're getting bigger, they're getting stronger, and that's what he's talking about, filling out spiritually speaking. You're getting bigger, you're getting stronger. The question is, how can your faith be enlarged like the Thessalonians? Where are you lacking in your faith? Uh, What areas do you need to grow and mature as a Christian? In what ways do you need to excel still more? Because you haven't arrived yet, and neither have I. Right? We all need to excel still more. Well, you've heard me um, talk about this concept in, in other uh, contexts, but for the sake of this morning in this text, let's just call it a lack list. A lack list. Um, I would encourage you to do a little homework assignment this week. If you want to practically apply what we're learning, okay, and you want to fill out your faith, okay, uh, sit down, take a few minutes, sit down and prayerfully consider the five areas where you are lacking in your faith. In other words, the five weakest areas in your walk with the Lord. What are the five areas that you need to change and grow the most? What are are the five areas that you need to excel still more in? Maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is our our areas of sin, right? That, man, I stink at this and I keep giving into this. And and so this is an area that I'm lacking in my faith. I I continually worry. I, I continually gossip. I continually lust. I continually buy stuff and put it on my credit card when I don't have the money to do that. Whatever it is, I'm thinking practical stuff, right, that you give into, and you're like, man, I'm lacking my faith in those, in those areas. Or maybe it's, you know what, I, I know I'm growing in my love for one another, but man, there's just some people still in this church I do not like. And I just have a hardest time loving on those people. Lord, would you help me to excel still more in the area of love? And get very specific and, and zero in on those areas where you're lacking in your faith. It's, it's really the log. You've heard me talk about a log list, right? What are, the, what are the five biggest logs in your eye? The Bible talks, don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Take the log out of your own eye, right? So this is the same thing, same concept, but just call it a lack list. What, what are you lacking in your faith? And, and you have this list of five lacks, Okay, I'm lacking in my faith in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. And, and you're like, okay, great. Now what do I do? I got this lack list. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, let me give you some practical ways to fill out your faith very specifically in regards to the areas that you're lacking in your faith. First of all is the Word of God. The, the Word of God. We, we all know and love 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, one of the 
best verses in the whole Bible about the Bible and its, and, its, and its influence in our lives. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In other words, that you would be filled out, that you would be fully outfitted, right, for everything that you need. Well, how does that happen? Well, the scripture, right, is profitable for teaching. It it tells us this is how you're supposed to live. And then it corrects us, right? It reproves us um, when uh, when we we get off track, all right? Um, It confronts us, I guess is a better way to say it. It confronts us. And then it corrects us. It, It shows us, okay, you did this. That was wrong. You needed to do this instead, right? And it corrects us. And then it trains us in righteousness. It trains us. It kind of keeps us on that path. It helps us develop biblical habits, godly habits. And so the Word of God is, is, is really a, a one-stop shop, if you will, for everything we need to fill up what is lacking in our faith. So we need to learn the Word of God, and we need to live the Word of God. So the Word of God is, is, is one thing you can apply, right, to that list. Number two is prayer. Prayer. Listen to some of the ways that Paul prayed for, for people. 2 Corinthians 13, 9 for we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for you that you be made complete. So Paul prayed that they would be filled up in their faith. They would fill out in their faith, that they would be complete in their faith. Colossians 4.12, Paul gives an example of Epaphras who prayed faithfully for uh, his home church. This is uh, uh, Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stay in perfect, same word, teleos, complete and fully assured in all the will of God. And then I love how the writer of Hebrews prays. Um, this is a prayer we need to learn to pray for ourselves. Uh, this is Hebrews thirteen twenty. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. In other words, you're praying, right, as you're studying God's word, and you're learning about maybe these areas where you lack, right? You begin to pray, Lord, you plead. You plead with God in prayer. You persevere in prayer, uh, and you beg God to work in you that which is pleasing to Him. So what am I talking about? Practically, you've got your, your, your list, your, your list of five things. You said the top one is, you know what? I need to excel still more in the area of trusting God and not worrying so much. So you go to the Word of God and you begin studying about what the Bible teaches about anxiety and worry and trust and faith and a lack of fear and, 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 and all that stuff and, and, and how faith is the opposite of fear and, and you study that. And, then, and as, you're, as you're studying that, you're, you're beginning to pray, Lord, would you help me to, uh, I plead with you to make that true of me. That, that I wouldn't be anxious for anything, but with uh, prayer and supplication, I'll let my request be made known to you, and that, that peace that passes all understanding, you begin to pray. And so as you're studying God's word, and as you're praying, right, and you're applying those two tools, the word of God and prayer, to that lack list, right, guess what God will be doing the whole time? He'll be bringing a third element into your life, and that's called trials. Trials. That's uh, on, on the list there if you're taking notes this morning. James 1, verse 2, consider it all, what? 
joy, my brethren, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops endurance or perseverance, and then it says, let endurance or perseverance have its perfect work so that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing, lacking nothing. So there you are, you're studying the word, you're praying, and then God's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little extra something, something here, okay, and I'm going to bring this little trial into your life, right, and that's going to help you learn not to be anxious and give you an opportunity to trust me. And so God uses trials to, to fill up where we're lacking in our faith. That's what it says in James chapter 1. So we need to learn to enjoy, sounds kind of crazy to enjoy a test, right? But that's what it says, consider it all joy. So enjoy and endure the test from God. Enjoy and endure the test from God because you know that God is using that to fill up where you're lacking in your faith, to strengthen your faith, to firm up your faith. And then lastly, there's the body of Christ. There's the body of Christ, right? We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how the, the role that the body of Christ plays uh, in firming up our faith. I love uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. It's a foundational passage for our philosophy of ministry here at Lakeside. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the, what? Equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And so guess what? Coming to church, right? Hearing the word taught, whether it's on Sunday morning uh, in a, from a sermon that you hear, or Wednesday night or during an equipping hour in a woman's Bible study, an Ironman, a men's deal, or even in the interaction just between all that stuff, right, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, what's happening? You're being equipped, you're being rounded out, you're being outfitted, right? You're being built up until you all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, we're all becoming more like Jesus. As a result, you're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Listen, the body was designed to work together. And the body cannot grow and develop and mature, right? Unless it's all together. You cut off your arm and throw it out there in the grass, that arm's a goner, okay? It is not going to grow. It's not going to mature. It's going to die, right? It needs to be connected to the body. And as long as it's connected to the body, you'll continue to grow and mature. All the body parts, right, are designed to function together. Listen, you cannot grow. You will never have firm faith apart from the body of Christ. God designed this thing called the church to help us all be filled up, right, where we're lacking in our faith. And sometimes, like I said, it might be that person coming to you and speaking the truth and love to you. And, and sometimes that's hard to hear, right? Sometimes the truth hurts, right? But guess what? God uses that brother or sister uh, in Christ who loves you, right, to say something that might be difficult to hear at some point. But guess what? God's using that, right, to fill up where you're lacking, to round you out spiritually, And so these are, I think, the main ways that God has provided for us to grow and mature as a Christian, to fill up what is lacking 
in our faith. Now, let me just, by way of application, camp out on that last one, the body of Christ, and let you know that there is a very practical way that you can begin applying the, the power of the body of Christ, the dynamic of the body of Christ, to help you get stronger and more mature in your faith, to fill up where you're lacking your faith. Who wants to have those areas in their lives filled out? Right? Do you, who wants that? Who knows they're lacking? Anybody in here know they're lacking? Okay, hopefully you're all raising your hand, right? Okay, we all have stuff where we're lacking in our faith. And hopefully you have a desire to, to fill up, right? To have those areas filled up and rounded out. So guess what? There's this thing called grow groups. You ever heard of them? Yeah, that's what we're all about this morning is grow groups. And this, was, this whole message is really kind of a, a, a commercial, all right, for, for grow groups in the sense that, hey, grow groups are all about growing and maturing and, and filling up where we're lacking in our faith. And so our desire as pastors and elders at this church is for everybody who calls Lakeside Bible Church their home. Whether you're a member or not, you come on a regular basis. This is your home church. We want you to be a part of a grow group. Um, Why? Because we want you to grow. And we feel like there's so much that happens within the dynamic of a grow group that can't happen here Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, but it doesn't really get, get happening in your life until you get down to smaller groups where you really get to know one another, right? And you can really begin to see and feel where you're lacking in your faith, and other people can see and feel where you're lacking in your faith, right? And you can help one another. You can sharpen one another and encourage one another and pray for one another. You, what, you, you study the Word of God together. You pray together. You, you, go, you endure trials together, right? You go through a difficult time, and you've got people there to go through that trial with you. And so basically, you're doing all these things, the Word of God, prayer, and, 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 and trials, and the body of Christ, all four of those things happen like on steroids in small groups, okay? And so that's why we encourage you to be a part of a grow group. So what we do is every school year, right, we kick off the new year, and we, we start another round of grow groups. And uh, most of you uh, have stayed in the same grow group you know, for the last several years, and that's awesome. You found, a, you found where you fit in the body of Christ here at Lakeside. And uh, so we want to encourage you to continue to thrive and grow in that grow group. And, and all you're going to have to do here in a few minutes is go back to that uh, find your grow group leader on, on the patio and that clipboard where you've been going for the last three years, and you're going to re-sign up. You're going to re-up and say, hey, I'm, I just want you to know I'm coming. I'm going to be there. Some of you are like, you know what, I kind of got burned out of my grow group. For some reason, it's not your fault, not the leader's group, not the other people's. You're just ready for a change, and it's okay. And so we kind of give you a, a kind of a free pass, right, to, to, to get out of your grow group and go to another grow group. But uh, just know, don't think, well, I'm just not going to go to my grow group anymore because your grow group leader will call you and say, hey, how come you're not coming to grow group anymore? And say, well, I'm not going to go anymore. They say, well, how come you're not going to go to this one? How about this one? We just spent this last Wednesday night talking about what all the grow groups do where they meet, the dynamic of each group. This is kind of an older crowd, younger crowd, little kids running all over the place, crowd, we eat a lot crowd. What, 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 what do they do? What do you do at your grow group, okay? We pray a lot, we eat a lot, we, we study the Bible a lot. What do you do? So all the other grow group leaders know what all the other grow group leaders are doing. Why? Because we're not tribal, we're not territorial. It's not like, hey, let's see if I can build my little kingdom and have my little grow group, right? No, we want everybody to be in a grow group. So listen, if it's not working out for you to be in my group, grow group, that's fine. I'm not offended. I'm not hurt. 
Um, how about, have you tried this guy's grow group? Have you tried this group's grow Hey, this, this group is right, meets right down the road from me. It's in your subdivision, dude. Why aren't you going to that one? So we're not letting you off the hook is what we're saying, okay? We're, we're all teaming up. We're ganging up on you, okay? And, and this is rush week, okay? Next two weeks, all right? So, so that's why you got to run the gauntlet when you go out the door here, okay? And, and you're going to feel some pressure, right? You're going to be having some people yelling at you. Throwing, no, they're not, but there's going to be people on either side, right? Grow group leaders. And, and they're going to be saying, hey, are you in a grow group? Why don't you come sign up on, the, on this grow group? And, and you are going to feel some pressure. And that's good. We want you to feel some pressure. Because we want you to get into grow groups. Why? Because we want you to grow, and we know this is the most effective way that we can help you grow is to get you in a small group, okay? So again, some of you, this might be the first time you ever sign up for one. That's awesome. But, but uh, just so you know, if you don't sign up, well, I'll just go out the other door, right? You'll find yourself in a grow group. Why? Because we'll put you in one, okay? We're just giving you a chance to sign up for the one that you want to go to. If not, we'll assign you one. Uh, that's how much we want you to be in a grow group. And we're not going to harass you or, or, or heckle you and all that kind of stuff. But, but we want you to know we care for you. We love you enough to pursue you. And, uh, and so what I'm going to ask really quickly, if you're a grow group leader uh, here in the second service, would you just stand up? We had a bunch in the first service. So if you're a grow group leader, go ahead and stand up so we can see you guys. Um, and your wives, if your wives are with you, go ahead and stand up. Okay. These are just a handful of our grow group leaders. And again, I don't want to insult your tell intelligence. You got this thing in the back of your uh, insert here, and it explains every one of our grow group leaders, okay, uh, where they meet, when they meet, how often they meet, what they study, um, okay? We, we try to give you as much details as possible uh, so that you can make a good decision. And hey, listen, you may pick a group, and you go there for a few times, you're like, man, this is just not the group for me, uh, you know? There's a bunch of, you know, kids running around here and drive me nuts. Or um, there's a bunch of old people, man, they look like they're ready to die, you know. And uh, seriously, we, we, got, we got groups like that, you know. So you got to be honest with yourself what's good for you, right? And, uh, and so, hey, I'm, I'm just quoting some of our grow group leaders, okay, from Wednesday night. That's what they, they said. So anyway, listen, we got some really godly couples here who are passionate about shepherding other people and discipling other people. And so I'm going to ask these guys to go ahead and be excused, and you guys go out there to the patio and get, get ready to, for the rush, right? And uh, the, other, the other groups are hopefully out there, have somebody assigned for them. But again, guys, I hope you understand our heart here, okay? Our heart is that um, we've said this as elders and, and pastors and making the priorities, establishing the priorities of our church, that the most important thing that we desire and, and that from, from everyone who comes to Lakeside is to be here on Sunday morning. That this is what we feel like is priority number one, is to be here together on Sunday mornings when we gather, to worship and to hear the Word of God preached. Secondly, the second top priority is not Wednesday night necessarily. It's not women's Bible study. It's not men's Bible study. It's not camps or retreats or anything like that. The second top priority is grow groups. That if we can only have two times uh, of your week, okay, we would want Sunday morning and we would want another night of the week where we can have you in a grow group, okay? That's how important, uh, that's, the, that's the premium that we place on, on the power uh, of God working through that, that small group dynamic, okay? So we want you to come to Wednesday night. We want you to come to Women's Bible Study and Men's Ministry and go on retreats and things like that, but, but only after, right? Uh, you have committed to a grow group and you make that your second top time priority uh, in your week, okay? 
Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this uh, dear body of believers. Thank you that we do have so many already committed to being a part of Grow Groups, and they've been very faithful, Lord, and, and we're just here this morning to, to excel still more and just to take it to the next level. And Lord, I know there's some folks who've just kind of been flying under the radar here at Lakeside, maybe just showing up on Sunday, and that's about all they do. And, or maybe they do come to some other things, but they've never truly connected to this body. Uh, nobody really knows them. Uh, they don't really know anybody else, and so they're really um, not filling up where they're lacking in their faith as, as effectively as they could be. And so I pray that you just stir everyone's hearts this morning to to want to be a part of a grow group and, and to be able to attend as often as possible. I know there's some people, Lord, who, who can't come. Their schedule just prohibits it for some reason. They have legitimate excuse. But Lord, that's, that's a rare person. We know that most people, if, it, if it's important enough, they, they can make the time and find the time. And so I pray that you just bless our grow groups as we launch this fall, just in a couple weeks now. Lord, that you would really bless what goes on there on Sunday nights, Sunday afternoons, um, Monday night, Tuesday night, Lord, that uh, you would just bless these times together as the body of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.